0: Uh, If you brought your Bibles, you're going to open them up to Daniel. We're going to be in the second half of Daniel today. And uh, as we begin and and as we kind of conclude our Daniel teaching series, uh, I want to talk to you about sleep. Anyone like sleep? Good. Save it for later. Not right now. Uh, But more specifically about sleep, how many of you are dreamers? You guys, anybody here have dreams? Anybody have dreams? Anybody remember their dreams? You ever try to remember your dreams? What about writing your dreams down? Anybody ever ri- written some of your dreams down? You write them down. You gotta. You should write them and share those things with people. It'd be really fun and exciting. So today I want to start out by talking about dreams. Now I know we already know that you don't think of mu- you don't think much of your dreams. It's just something that comes and goes, right? Like you, most of us have dreams, but we don't hold on to them or cling to them or you know, maybe you've attempted to interpret them, but it's not really something that's like taking up a bunch of your time. So I'm going to share with you a quote uh, uh, about dreams from a theologian named Walter Brueggemann and uh, I'm just going to put it on the screen. Here's what he says. See if this is you. We children of the enlightenment do not regularly linger over such elusive experiences as dreams. We seek to enlighten what is before us and to overcome the inscrutable and the eerie in order to make the world a better, more manageable place. We do well in our management while we are awake and we keep the light, the power and control on 24 seven. Except of course, that we must sleep. We require seasons of rest and therefore of vulnerability. Our control flags. We become open to stirrings that we do not initiate. Such stirrings come to us in the night. Unbidden dreams address us. They invite us beyond our initiative taking management. The ancient world and the biblical tradition knew about dreams. The ancients understood that the unbidden communication in the night open sleepers to a world different from the one they manage during the day. The ancients dared to imagine, moreover, that this unbidden communication is one venue in which the holy purposes of God, perplexing and unreasonable as they may be, come to us. I want to share one more brief quote. He says, dreams are recognized recognized as disclosures of otherness, an otherness that may indeed open us to authentic reality and a truth that lies beyond reason. I know why you don't like your dreams or uh, I know why you don't dwell on them. I know you why, why you don't write them down. You see, the ancient world knew something that we have forgotten. Dreams remind us that God can and often does intrude into our safe controlled, moderated, settled world. Jacob dreams, Joseph Joseph dreams, Uh, Pharaoh dreams, even the Magi in the New Testament, all had dreams and visions. And now Daniel, who is the interpreter of many other dreams, has a series of dreams all his own. In chapter seven, verse one, it says, Daniel had a dream and he saw visions as he lay in his bed, And he wrote down the dreams, and this is what he saw. Dreams are curious things. Um, This is uh, 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 (laughs) going to be an interesting teaching. (laughs) Uh, Daniel, who is usually interpreting dreams for other people, has dreams now. And curiously enough, Daniel can't interpret them. And so he leaves it to us to try to interpret Dreams are a whole different style of writing, and and they require different eyes for reading. Uh, It's filled with apocalyptic imagery. It's uh, what you read in the second half. Anyone ever read Daniel 7 through? Yeah, I told you. I'm the only one. Read it. It's filled with apocalyptic imagery. It's intended to be visually stunning and even terrifying. It's meant to grab the reader's attention, to make a point. Now, when you're reading apocalyptic imagery, it's not necessarily a good, ita- good idea to analyze and scrutinize every detail. All right? This is supposed to be big pictures that flash and gain your attention. To, to analyze and scrutinize every detail, may, you may become confused and you may miss the obvious point. All right, so if I introduce that we're going to be talking about dreams, the next question you should ask is what Does Daniel dream? Go ahead and show that next image. His dreams point to the end of the world. Right? Like I have I've had that REM song in my head, all it's the end of the world as we know it. You know that song? Like, that is his dreams. That's why I, today, uh, whenever you preach about the end of the world, whatever you talk about the end, you should dress in all black. That's why I'm dressed like Johnny Cash today, right? You got to have full effect. It's about the end. In chapter 8, uh, in these visions, he learns that like what he's dreaming pertains to the end of time. And and none of these things will happen for a long time. And in chapter 12, verse 8, Daniel himself, he asked the question, maybe you've asked it before, how will all this finally end? How many of you are curious about how it's all going to end? Okay. Daniel has a dream about it. It begins with a nightmarish, hellish vision. Daniel calls it the time of wrath. If you look carefully in chapter 7 through 12, Daniel has a series of dreams. He dreams about lions and tigers and bears, oh my. He dreams about rams and goats and horns, and some of these horns have eyes and mouths. He says in chapter 7, I watched his, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating him. There it's filled with beasts. One is set to devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. These beasts and powers and authorities are going to defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of God. In chapter 8, verse 10, it says that its powers reach to heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. Truth is going to be overthrown in this future moment at the end. And rulers and powers and authorities of this world, and not all of them of this world. In chapter 11, verse 36, it says that the king will do as he pleases. He'll exalt himself and claim to be greater than every god, even blaspheming the God of gods. He will succeed. But only until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined will surely take place. What you see if you read in these chapters is the worst of the worst. As bad as it can get. Maybe you've looked forward into Revelation some and you see earthquakes and fires and moons turning to blood. All of this image is supposed to say it's going to get bad. Even in chapter 9 verse 26 it says... The anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. Did you see that? It's the end of the world as we know it. Right? Do you hear do you hear that? And what what is crazy to me is that we are fascinated by this, right? Just go online and search the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? Like your, your inbox is going to be flooded because we're so fascinated by this. We love the imagery and we love the terror and we love the darkness. But, but to only focus on that misses something incredibly important. Because this is not all that Daniel dreams Look what it says, and let's, just, let's look at some passages together, specifically out of chapter 7. In chapter 7, verse 21 and 22 says, As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them until the Ancient One, the Most High, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Look again at this next verse. He says, I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence and millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened and I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. One more set of passages, look like at verse 26 and 27. I think I have those, Sec. Maybe I don't have those. I really don't. Verse 26 says, But then the court will pass judgment, and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever. And all rulers will serve and obey him. So, how many of you had dreams like this? (laughs) Daniel even himself is going to say verse 15 and 16. Like he has this dream and then he faints like six times. Like he says, I was incredibly troubled by what I dreamed. And then he asked a great question. You You can see it for yourself in verse 16. What does it all mean? Have you ever asked that question? What do I do with all of this? Beast and horns and stars and ancient ones. What does it all mean? It's interesting. Daniel, the interpreter of everybody else's dream, has a hard time understanding. But my guess is if you look closely this morning, you already see the meaning I just want to talk about three quick points about the end, right? We're going to talk about the end. Um, Whenever I ask, uh, maybe we're doing a new Bible study or, you know, as a pastor, sometimes I ask people, what would you like to study? What would you like to study? There are always hands that go up and they always want to study the same book of the Bible. Who can guess what it is? Why? 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 I don't know why. It holds this fascination. You know what I'm saying? Like, ooh, revelation. You know, <laughs> like, like we're excited about like, like why? So maybe we will do a teaching series on revelation. Maybe that's going to come. Maybe that's going to happen. I, I, I love God's word. We'll, we'll teach all of it. I'm not afraid of it, but I can teach you the entire book of John's revelation in one word. I can sum up the whole thing for you in one word. You know what the word is? Victory, victory. That whole revelation of God to John is for one word, to remind us of one word and the word is victory. I know things seem sideways right now. Everything in our world make perfect sense Feel like everything in our world's running as it should, operating as it should. Do you think that that fairness and justice and righteousness—that's that's, that's a pretty common thing in our world, right? Or is it the opposite? I, I think in general we think things are pretty sideways. Like, like crazy stuff is happening all this time. Like, I how how are people in our world still hungry and thirsty? That makes sense to anybody? We okay with this? But see, this points to like, like, okay, maybe right now things are sideways. Maybe there are powers and authorities at work in our world. But in every scene of Daniel's dream, it doesn't matter how wicked or horrible or how how villainous this this superpowers are. It doesn't matter about the kings or authority. Some of these kings even raise up and it says it even challenges heaven. They war against God and God's will and his desire for the earth. And and sometimes it even looks like the the evil powers of this world are winning. Do you ever feel like that? feel like, men, things are really spinning out of control here. And that is in every instance, in, at least in Daniel's dream, when the hero arrives. He's called the ancient one. Some of you know him uh, more literally as the ancient of days. In Daniel's vision, he sees one that will come to judge them all. Everything that's sideways, everything that's out of line, everything that's out of balance and unfair and unrighteous and unjust and cruel and hateful, every wrong is going to be righted when he comes. In his presence, Isaiah says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess and Daniel's dream reminds us that it doesn't matter how powerful they may seem or how mighty they are. When he comes, look, look, you should underline this in your Bible, Every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. He says, there is a moment coming that I know it seems like things are chaotic right now, but there is a moment coming when one comes who is going to set it right. Do you believe that? And, and Isaiah says, when he comes, no one is going to question, is that really him or not? Like, like we're all going to know. Like, you're gonna, you know how you just know, like, we're all going to know. When he arrives, when the ancient one, the ancient of days comes, and every knee will bow and tongue confess, and every kingdom and every authority, above and below, will fall like dominoes before him. And it says he's going to come and he's going to hold court. Court is in session, right? We're all going to stand before him. But that's not all. It says, the ancient of days will install a new kingdom and built upon the shoulders of the one who comes on the clouds of heaven. Look what it says in seven thirteen through 14. I, I read a portion of this already. He says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. Have you heard that kind of language before? Every tribe and tongue and nation and people. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Daniel says there's a new sheriff in town, right? One that has the power and authority to make right everything that went wrong. Victory. Now, here's a tough part of this too. According, according to the Bible, towards everything this says, this moment when he comes is actually good news. Again, we love to focus on the other side of like, hey, well, if people don't follow him, but they don't give, you know, they're going to be burned up. They're going to be thrown up. You know, what like, I like there's volumes of books written about that. But they miss the point that his coming is supposed to be good news. It's something we should pray for and look forward to. In the New Testament, they're, they're begging for it to come. They're desperate for him to come. And and I love this picture. Because God is going to finish what he started through Jesus Christ. It's hard to imagine, but um, everything we see and touch and experience right now is temporary. Do you believe that? Like, I mean, my stuff is super important, but it's still temporary. Like, we live in this temporary space where, where we're all affected by time and, and all of these things. But do you know, that's not how we were created. That's not how this story begins. Go and look back in your Bible at the very beginning. At the very beginning, we, created, we, were, we were in a space that didn't have an end, right? Right? Right next to God, eating from the tree of life, like right, like there was no clock, it just kept going on and on and on. It was eternal life until kind of got the big head, rebelled against God, cast out of that space. And since that moment, do you know what the entire witness of scripture is? The entire witness of scripture is that God has been trying to get us back. And if you look at Genesis and then fast forward all the way to Revelation, I know your favorite. It begins in a garden and it ends in a garden city. And we are, I know, I know we are. We're still in this temporary space. But God's going to finish what he started. And that is good news. So I think. Um, this end picture for you, uh, whenever you think about the end, I want you to think about victory. But I also want you to think about reunion. Um, you guys know uh, our son, Cannon, was adopted from Ethiopia uh, as a part of our adoption process. So Cannon is six now. But uh, when we first got the referral for Cannon, he was two months. My wife's in here. She's going to make, make sure these dates are right. I think we got a referral when he was like two months. And uh, the first time we met Cannon was... Uh, when he was four months old. So a part of the adoption process for Ethiopian kids is you, you have to go to Ethiopia two times. You have to go two times, and eat for about a week each time. And the first time you go um, is, is kind of like the Ethiopian side of the adoption, right? And then you come home, and then the second week, you, you go back, and the second week in Ethiopia is the U.S. side of the adoption, and that's when you get to bring the kid home. So at four months, it was time for us to fly to Ethiopia to meet our son. Um, we, we uh, I mean, we have it on video. I remember the moment, like, we walked up, we, we met our son. They were like, here he is. Psh, he was not thrilled with me at all. I'm just saying. Um, and uh, we stayed in a guest house in Canon. Our new son lived with us for a week. We fed him and changed him, and we took care of him until that week was over. Uh, It was on July 4th, Amy will tell you, worst day of her life. We wrapped cannon up, we got in the car. There are no car seats in Ethiopia, it's a great thing. Um, We just held him. We got in the car on the way to the airport, we stopped back at the orphanage. Now imagine this moment. We take our new son. We just spent a week with him and we give him back. We walk out and head to the airport. We did okay until we got on the plane and there was a baby cry. We were supposed to come back in one month. It took us four. That was a tough space. It was tough. And the thought that plagued me above all is that Cannon, even, even baby Cannon, like I don't know that he knows that we're coming back for him, right? Like, I don't know that if he could, like, if he could comprehend that we were doing everything in our power. I mean, Amy and I would have walked to Ethiopia if we could have got there fast. I mean, we would have done everything. We would have done anything to be with him again. And and my, my hardest, my biggest fear was that he didn't know that. Now imagine that God feels that same thing for you. That with all of his effort, with all of his power, with all of his grace, with all of his energy, the only thing that he desires is for you to be in his arms again. And that is the moment he is working toward. And the end of this story is that it's not over until he returns and wraps his arms around you again. Because that's what he wants. He wants to be with you. So this end is about victory. It's about reunion. And finally, just, just briefly, I know we've just got a couple minutes. It really is about hope. In chapter 12, verse 12, he says, blessed are those who wait and remain until the end. God's people can take comfort in knowing that this final onslaught and manifestation of evil will be short-lived. I, I know things are tough right now. It's, it's temporary. The works of this hellish kingdom will be demolished And so God's people are encouraged to endure and be faithful. We are encouraged to live in hope of a righteous kingdom in which God will live among his people again. And Isaiah says, hey, you don't have to worry about this happening because Isaiah 9, 7 says, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. He'll make it happen. I love what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, you know, this world is pretty temporary, but there are three things that last. Three things that last forever. Like, that's what he means. They last forever. You know what they are? Faith, hope, and love. And so while we wait, while we remain here, we I, I encourage you to endure in faithfulness, to endure in hope, and endure in love. I love this great quote. It simply says Do not settle for the status quo. Do not settle for the world as it's being presented to us. Do not settle for the inevitability of what is said to be inevitable. We can hope for more than this. God will triumph. And because we believe this to be true and certain, we can live courageously now and move with courage into a better future. So in just a moment, I'm going to dismiss you to a time of communion. I've got the table set up around the room. We'll have instructions on the screen. We want you to know this is sacred space. And just, just as we go there, like I... I um, Maybe, maybe I should just ask you, like, this is rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you want this to be the end of your story? Like what, what Daniel just talked about, about God coming and, and reigning again and setting up his kingdom and drawing all of his people to him again. Like, is, is that what you really want? Or is this world enough for you? Are you pretty content with the way things are? Because I would say through Jesus Christ, God offers you something more. Through Jesus Christ, he offers you more than this temporary life. Through Jesus Christ, he offers us a new way, a new truth, a new life. And it's available to you. Honestly, it really is your choice. And so this morning as we enter into a time of communion, I I just really encourage you to ask yourself and if this victorious reunion is, is what you want, if you want something eternal, then the path for you is simple. I just invite you to repent of your sins and give yourself wholly and completely to Jesus Christ. He really is the way. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for this crew and for their hearts and uh, um, so, such challenging, deep words. And God, we honestly, we just get so consumed with what's happening in our own life and our own schedule and our own timeline. Man, we, maybe we have taken our eyes off this thing that you're trying to do. Father God, maybe some of us are going. Okay, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? We know in your Word that it says, if 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 you are holding back this moment, if if you are holding back this moment of your return, where every knee will bow and tongue confess God. If if there's one reason why that hasn't happened or isn't happening right this second, it says in Second Peter that that the only reason that that could be is so that more people would be saved. And so, Father God, if if there is a man or woman in this space that doesn't know you and hasn't confessed the truth of who you are, hasn't repented of their sins and, and discovered life in you, God, I, I just pray that you would move in their heart right now. That you offer this victorious reunion to all who repent, to all who give themselves to Jesus completely. And, and, and God, if there's people here that are, that are struggling with that, we want to be helpful. We can help. We'd love to share your word with those. So God, we just ask that that you would move in every heart and in ways only you can. Help us to lift our eyes upward. Help us to wait in hope and in faith and in love. Help us to anticipate the moment of return. Or we can be with you wholly and completely again. Love you, Father, and in your Son Jesus' name, everyone together says,